Aye, springes to catch woodcocks, I do know, when the blood burns, how prodigal the soul lends the tongue vows. These blazes, daughter, giving more light than heat, extinct in both, even in their promises as it is a-making. You must not take for fire. Shannon Camp. I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. On tonight's episode, we discuss season four, episode one, How Prodigal the Soul. Robert gains popularity on his coronation tour, while Jasper and Liam have information that could end his reign. Eleanor chooses between returning to Jasper or working abroad with Sebastian. All right, we're back for potentially one last ride. I'm going to say 96.25% this is the final season of this show. I do not see it returning after Well, when someone is that specific and that certain, then I just unquestioningly believe them. And I think history has taught us that that pretty much bears out okay. Uh, Since we were last on the air, which was about a year ago, uh, the creator of the show, Mark Schwann, was one of the guys who, you know, sexual allegations came to light about in the whole hashtag Me Too movement, uh, the fallout from the Harvey Weinstein allegations, however you want to think of it. And, uh, you know, this show is the work of a lot of different artists, and we're going to continue to talk about it and hopefully appreciate their contributions. But I hope if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, you've heard me and Zach talk about how we take, uh, you know, sexual violence and sexism seriously when we're discussing the show. Uh, We definitely take it seriously in real life, too, and it's not okay. So we're glad that Schwann was kicked off the show, but it was kind of too late because, as I understand, the season was already written. Was that the case? Was it already written and shot? I think so. It's. I think the it started shooting a while ago. When he was kicked off, they were in the run-up to announcing when this season was going to premiere. Yeah, which may have been part of the reason why it has been such a long hiatus since last we did this podcast. Uh, I think it's probably a combination of that, that. And they also, I think they paired it with their other newer show about Scientology, kind of. It's not about Scientology, Zach. How dare you suggest something? Because I think that show, even though it aired, it started after the Royals, I think is maybe more popular. So they're trying to use that as a lead in. But Yeah, it um, wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we were exactly surprised when we heard about this just because I feel like, you know, if you're with us at this point, you've heard that we've complained a lot about like seriously dubious consent or lack of consent with sexual acts on the show. You know, a lot of other things um, like the treatment of professional women that we found to be problematic <laughs> to say the very least. Um, yeah, regardless of what else has happened, the show has had, I think, certainly its longest, it's been over a year, I think, since the last episode. Um, in fact, since the last episode, I think when we last recorded this podcast, put it in context, we were anticipating the similarities, potential similarities, between this show and Riverdale, which has now gone on to its late second season. It has become 
somewhat enjoyable to briefly very enjoyable to <laughs> almost as big of a mess as the Royals. I would say from highly enjoyable to completely unbearable, Riverdale runs the gamut. Yeah, like the most recent episode as of this recording is like the most fanficy nonsense, like Royals-esque, like plot lines do not matter. Character motivations do not matter. All that matters is Love, Simon. That's a story for another day. <laughs> We always put a lot of effort into paying attention to the show, and really, we do take it seriously, so we're, we're looking forward to doing this one last season, you know, where don't worry about us losing energy. We're going to end this whole shebang on a high note, I promise you. And actually- Although I, I might have to be literally high to deal with it. We can't look back anymore. The only people who look to the past are time travelers. We need to look- forward people are gonna think you came up with that <laughs> i got that from a dove chocolate wrapper everyone and i did not enjoy it at the time but it has since grown on me the only people who look backwards are time travelers anyway we're gonna look slightly backwards because we just watched the season four premiere we barely talked to each other about it while we were watching it and then we just walked in here sat our asses down and started recording so this is a very you're getting our freshest possible take on this episode which uh does also potentially mean that we may get a few things wrong because we have only watched it once whereas in the past we might have watched an episode two or three times and um but i think it's gonna be fresher this way i think you're gonna enjoy it it'll be different i mean we'll see how it works if we feel uh, after the fact like it's better for us to take time and digest episode before podcasting then maybe we'll go back to doing that but maybe not we'll see how it goes yeah housekeeping wise we want to get the episode out to you guys as soon as possible because i know that there are some of you who do watch the show and if you want a chance to reflect on the previous week's episode before the next one we're going to try to make that possible but at the same time uh we do actually try to pay attention and know what we're talking about even when the writers forget what happened we try to remember yeah zach what were your first impressions of the season four premiere I don't know. Like, you want me to say what I thought about the entire episode right up front? What's, like, I don't know. What what made you excited right off the bat? Like, what what are you thinking? What's your initial reaction? I want I mean, to know. What, what are you thinking about as we first stepped into this office to record the podcast? In some ways, I felt that the show is the same as it ever was in certain <laughs> regards in that, like, major plot lines from previous seasons are very unceremoniously discarded in favor of, like, entirely new turns it's clear to some degree they're making things up as they go along (laughs) and also retconning the shit out of others yeah like the history of well uh (laughs) the history of what happened with simon's death is at the beginning of the first season they were going to kill simon they killed simon they didn't know who did it at that point they didn't i guarantee the writers did not know who killed simon and they were like uh uh ted did it At that point, Ted acted alone. And then later in season three, they were like, what if uh, we had uh, Robert be involved in maybe the thing or maybe not? You forgot about Domino in season two. Oh, Domino was also involved or not. That That was like a secret family organization that made no sense that may or may not have also been involved. There were so many conspirators. It's like the War of the Roses. They killed, they tried to, and somebody tried, oh, somebody tried to kill... Yeah, no, because the Robert thing was probably originally intended to be whoever the big bad villain was. 
And then they were like, no, we'll retcon that. So it was. We'll bring him back. He was originally, yeah. I'm sure, supposed to be dead. Like, oh, I don't dead, know about that. Dead. I don't think that's true. You don't think that's I think true? They always... I don't think he was supposed to be a villain to come back. No, I don't know. I don't know what he was going to. I think they had no idea what he was going to be when he came back. But the fact that they from episode one, him. they never even showed a picture of him. Yeah. Like they were going to bring him back. Yeah, that's true. They get a lot of mileage out of this one photoshopped picture they have of the actors who play Helena and Simon with the three kids as children. But I still find it weirdly affecting every time it's shown. Yeah, no, I guess kind of what was on my mind was the, because the closest thing since we stopped watching the show that I have seen to it is Riverdale. Like that is, I don't watch many shows of this type um in my personal life and riverdale has been maybe even to a degree we'll see how this season goes but riverdale's been really bad about abandoning plots and character lines and ideas and uh the royals has been certainly guilty of that and i don't know i guess i was just thinking of um the consistency of the plot or the ideas that are being pursued in this show and how it's very scattershot. <laughs> and I was wondering how that was going to play out for the new season. How I expected you... certain things to be abandoned. Yeah, how can you pin a wave upon the sand, you yeah. know? Uh, no, I agree with that. I think every time we start a new season, I have this feeling that, like, if I didn't have you to remember it with me, I would feel like I was almost... Be- gaslighted by the show because it's like who are these people where did you come from wait where did they go where's everyone i know all the events you told me happened were actually a lie like it's like waking up from a dream and falling into another dream uh which is a very hamlet-esque way of putting it which i guess is kind of fitting although obviously the show has completely abandoned any pretense of being tied to hamlet plot-wise Although the episode titles remain Hamlet Hamlet quotes. quotes, And I would say turns of the plot remain passably Shakespearean in the sense that it's like family drama and machinations. But you could call Days of Our Lives Shakespearean by that same parameter. Yeah, with the the added caveat that, of course, they are a royal family. So I guess there's that aspect. I guess the thought I had when I was watching it is that And I know we've talked about this before, but it really is a beautifully shot show. Like, there were even some images in this episode where, like, I found the plot point frustrating, but the way it was presented was very good. And, Mm. like, in this episode, they shot on location uh, in Europe and possibly elsewhere. And that was also, you know, looked just beautiful and... Everything in that sense was very good. They sent Alexandra Park and only Alexandra Park to shoot on location in some very, uh, I'm not exactly sure where it was. Yeah, she plays Princess Eleanor. Yeah, some very picturesque, uh, you know, seaside locations that looked sort of, I don't know, perhaps Italian or something of that nature. I'm not exactly sure where it was. It seemed Italian or Greek. It was that sort of like whitewashed buildings built into a hillside with red terracotta roofs. Yeah, it was gorgeous. So Um, it looked great. And there are some cast members who make really fun choices. Like we always uh, love Cyrus. And I got to say, I was really tickled. Uh, This episode picks up immediately where the last one ended with him aiming a gun at Liam and I thought that was just like a punchy way to start the episode i was glad that we kind of got into cyrus stuff and cyrus is gonna be evil again or at least he's gonna be plotting against robert it's... robert is not good so i don't know if you would call that evil but i, I think more than it didn't it, it started on actually a continuation i think of the exact same shot that ended season three where the door closed and then a bullet hole appeared in the door yeah and then you see liam 
peek up from beneath the bullet hole. And it looked so good. Like, as silly as that is, it, the shot of him peering through the door, like, the hole in the door looked beautiful. Um, so Liam presents to Cyrus his whole theory about Robert actually being in league with Ted to kill Simon, to advance himself. And Cyrus says that he'll think about it slash look into it. Well, Cyrus is like, kind of like, mad respect for how evil this guy is. He's operating on a whole nother level (laughs) and refers to him as insidious, which I think Liam learned the word insidious in that moment. Because he uses it later on in the episode, but a little bit incorrectly. Yeah, not exactly right. (laughs) Um, And Cyrus says that Robert may actually deserve to be king if he managed to pull this off. And also this whole plot line reminded me heavily not of any, uh, you know, Sith apprenticeship, but specifically of Emperor Palpatine and Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> and the fact that they repeated the word insidious multiple times when uh, in the prequels, if you recall, Emperor Palpatine went by Darth Sidious. Yeah. Did not. They even used the phrase dark side <laughs> at one point. Yeah, Cyrus is like, welcome to the dark side. It's a lot more fun down here. Yeah. You know, the most Cyrus lines ever. Liam, like, essentially in so many words, literally is like, take me under your wing. I will become your apprentice. No, he says, take me under your wing. That's a direct quote. It's really, really funny. Of course, the whole scene is lit by firelight and, like, shot through their whiskey glasses or whatever type of dark alcohol rich people drink. Don't ask me, because I'm none of those things. You're not a rich person or dark (laughs) alcohol? That's exactly right. I mean, where's the lie? Uh, I was going to say, in this episode, we jump around in time a bit, and the way the passage of time is shown is the godchild of the Royals universe, Sarah Alice, who can manifest objects and, like, pull apart walls. She is a esque figure. (laughs) Yeah, she's like deus ex precociosity. Um, She is the one who, like shows us that the world still turns and the sun rises and falls at night by a hand-drawn child's calendar marking days without Eleanor. Because one of the things that happens immediately after Robert's coronation is uh, Eleanor, in spite of the fact that she and Jasper have slightly reconciled, agrees to go with Sebastian on this trip around the world. And I was very happy. I feel like she deserves to get a chance out of like that claustrophobic palace environment, which is full of toxic people who keep appearing and disappearing. (laughs) So it's Eleanor and Sebastian, the model guy, and Rosie, her clumsy cool girl bodyguard. She's the Jennifer Lawrence of bodyguards. The latter two are conspicuously absent during any exterior shots in the Italian villas. Uh, yeah, it's great. I was just happy that this time when she went around the world, there wasn't a man who professed to be in love with her stalking her, which is exactly what happened last time. But, uh, yeah. And Sarah Alice, so she has these months without Eleanor calendars that show the passage of time, but I don't believe there's any, there's no shot of her face. You just see her like flash by like a little imp that runs by the camera marking her calendars. Yeah, you see like her disembodied hand move into the shot to mark off days. It really is very eerie. Like, especially because Sarah Alice always wears the same blue dress and the same tiara. She seems like a ghost. Like James Hill's daughter died 10 years ago. We are making the assumption that it is Sarah. We don't hear her... (laughs) 
tradi- her trademark I'm Sarah Alice. So we don't know. This could be literally a ghost child who haunts the palace. She died in the car crash where her parents died. And this is all James Hill's coping mechanism. And the last episode will be James waking up. Tragic, by the way. Uh, and not something that I was excited about this episode that I'm just going to mention right now. Though he has mentioned, James Hill does not appear. And I'm hoping he's not gone. That made me super nervous. Like, if Sarah Alice has to leave... So be it. But it made me really nervous not seeing James Hill. Because He's still on staff canonically, but he doesn't show up in this episode. Maybe they didn't want to pay him a series regular rate so they could over some episodes. I don't really know how that works, especially overseas. Um, but uh, more stuff happens on the day of the coronation. I'm kind of just trying to go through the family. Now we've covered Liam and Eleanor. Um, <laughs> after Robert is crowned, he walks into like his one of his fancy studies that the family shares and she pushes him in the back her son the newly crowned king pushes him so hard that the big clunky crown falls off she's very upset because he fired spencer even though it's probably against the rules for her to have a sexual relationship with one of their staff members and then robert just very calmly explains to her oh he was writing a tell-all book detailing your sexual exploits and helena just immediately accepts this yeah whether this is true or not we don't really have a point of reference he makes a specific reference to an incident involving both of them that he theoretically could have found out about another way but she just accepts it and also his solution was to fire this man who now has even less reason to not sell his story to any outlet now he is not employed by the castle it is not his job so he has more incentive if anything and I did want to point out the sex, uh, sexual escapade that Robert references is the time Spencer and Helena went to the pantry and she got like smacked in the face with like a jar of figgy pudding when it fell off the shelf because they were boning so hard. And it specifically was figgy pudding, I believe, because it was the Christmas episode. Yeah. So that was something. Uh, but yeah. I think it might have been, did they say figgy pudding or did they actually say jiggy pudding? Well, that's what the book supposedly called it, but it was figgy pudding. Like a reference to the 1994 song, Let's Get Jiggy With It. You know what? The Royals knows what the kids like and what the kids want. Yeah, like saying AF. Like Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah. And saying AF. In this episode, there's a return to Helena saying things like AF, which is also very first season. But I want to talk about one more thing in in that scene between Helena and Robert. She's like... I know you're super devious because I taught you to be super devious and I'm so proud of you. And it was funny to me that after like kind of admitting that, that she knows that he's a bit of a schemer because she is too. She didn't apparently think to suspect that the Spencer thing could totally be a lie. Like with the Royals, we don't know. It could be that Spencer is writing this book and they just want to write him off the show. So they're like, oh, he was a dirtbag. Now he's gone. But he could also come back in three episodes like, I love you. It was all a lie. Well, it seems like, because I assume that's who she was texting at the end of the episode was No, it wasn't. It was someone else. It was that guy Robert told her to get back together with. Oh, okay. Robert and his mother have a super frank sexual discussion, which me and my parents do not do. So I could not relate to this scene. And he tells her he's bringing back one of her old advisors who she used to have an affair with, even though he is married. And she's like very amused by the idea. She's like, oh, you're pimping out one of your married advisors. And I was like, 
don't call it pimping. But yeah, Robert is trying to build a political connection there by getting Helena to reconnect with this married man. And that's the guy who texted her at the end of the episode. And honestly, that's all that's going on with Helena. She's trying to break up fights between the boys, but they are basically not spending time together because if they don't have to, they won't. So... And Liam... No, and she hasn't really clashed with Cyrus either. Yeah, and I feel like Liam, like, makes her insecure because he's like, oh, uh, Simon needed you for love and Cyrus needed your wiles, but he doesn't need anything from you, so you'll be out. You'll be a dowager. Yeah, which uh, I talked about in real life, Queen Elizabeth's mother, uh, the dowager Queen Mary, was known as the Queen Mother, and she was a hugely influential force in the British royal family. So this is a point that doesn't really track going off the most recent this, Dowager Queen. And it also relates to a problem I've had with the show for a good two or three seasons now, which is these people all want the crown, like several of these characters want the crown very badly. But the fact of the matter is this takes place in modern England and they don't really have that much political power. They're just kind of public figures. Like Cyrus lost the crown and his life is essentially the same yeah. as when he was king. Well, he was the most debauched king ever in a way that like, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would even be possible, but we already talked about that. There is kind of a funny moment that's either a flashback or a dream sequence. It's not 100% clear. I think it happened, yeah. We want to believe it's a flashback where um, Liam is wearing like this big like 70s style chinchilla fur coat and rolling out of a limo with Cyrus and of course, you know, a bunch of his like tarted up, shall we say, women who are definitely supposed to be sex workers and some other like sort of out there looking members of his entourage. And then Liam wakes up with a start and is obviously super hungover. And is also really shirtless and really cut because I feel like how that's how E keeps this show on the air. <laughs> yeah, it's like the out, it's a crazy outfit. It's kind of like ostentatious seventy. His hair is kind of slicked back. I almost feel like it's an outfit that I could see the Jared Leto version of the Joker wearing. <laughs> well, Liam is basically becoming the Jared Leto version of the Joker because he's just becoming more and more about like trying to become evil so he can take revenge by his own he's, admission. But he's not really. Like, he wishes. Yeah, he's like not actually, like he's clear, the, I don't think the show wants him to actually feel evil, at least not yet. No, the show wants us to root for him, but the thing is, it's very frustrating. I think we just have to address it. So, remember when Ophelia went to America? It was like a dog being sent to a nice farm upstate. Well, Catherine just got sent to a nice farm upstate. So quickly that I think, um... After the scene ended, so the scene actually, he has a quick talk with Catherine and she's like, oh, uh, I think I might take some time to find myself, go to America. And she's like, because at least in America, I don't get judged when I look at Ben Franklin and they yeah. pan down to the money and it's a picture of Prince Robert. She says, Ben Franklin never called me a whore. Yeah. Um, and then, He probably called a lot of other women whores, though. Then the scene very quickly ends. There's not much of like an emotional goodbye or anything. And it was so quick to the point that Shannon was talking about the character a little later in the episode and I said I think they I think they wrote her off like I think she's gone yeah so Catherine says she's going to America and Liam is like sad but honestly not as devastated as he should be considering that literally every single episode of season three was devoted to how obsessed he was with her how this was his true love overcoming family bonds how it was worth everything so it's very unsatisfying because after going through all of that you at least want it to mean something especially with the big moment where robert calls 
Catherine a whore, which obviously sucks, and, like, we're not into that kind well, of language. Part of the problem, I think, it's, well, the one consistent thing in this show uh, through all four seasons has been the Jasper-Eleanor aspect of it. I think other than that, there's almost no consistency. Um, and but I, even in that, they retconned out her assault by him. Right, but on some degree, like, the idea that the show intends for these two characters to get together is consistent. Like, even in those first early episodes, like, it's clear the thing the show is going for is that these two are going to fall in love and be like, uh, you know, the power couple or whatever. And I just think that they never found the person for Liam that the audience for this show, like, cared about. Like, I guarantee there's a huge contingent of this show that loves the Jasper Eleanor stuff top to bottom. But with Liam, they just never found that person. So they're just alternating out these options and Wilhelmine is the closest they've come so I think that's why they're keeping her around yeah so let's just yeah it's very frustrating because it's kind of insulting to one of the few professional women on the show who hasn't like slept her way up the career ladder but Liam is back apparently having like a bit of a crush on Willow at least to the point that he's jealous of the possibility of her ending up with Robert, and this is after, like, two seasons of him using her as, like, his backburner days. I'll I'll defend it in this way. I don't think that... I didn't get the impression that he... I I didn't read anything into the seeds that that between them that at this point he had a particular crush on her because he explicitly said, oh, you're my friend. It's just another thing you could take away from me. I think he still views her as a friend and she still feels jilted. The character may not be aware of it, but it's clear what they're setting up. Yeah. Well, it's clear what they're setting up, but at this point, yeah, there's nothing... I don't think... Yeah. I mean, It's just so bizarre to have treated this character as, like, an also-ran for two seasons because she's insanely good-looking. I think this episode really underlines that. Like, she has, like, a short, sort of glamorous, almost Grace Kelly-esque haircut. They put her in a lot of really classic looks that are clearly meant to echo, like, you know, your Kate Middletons, your Meghan Markles, like, a very uh, sophisticated style of fashion compared to Eleanor with her more, like, rocker, edgy style, or, like, Ophelia or Catherine who dress very, very basic. Um, and so they're going to go in that direction, I think. They're going to set up a love triangle or a love square involving Liam and Robert feuding over Willow, but then complicating things for Liam is the addition of a character played by Lily Loveless. Um, anyone who watched Skins will recognize Lily Loveless from playing Naomi Campbell in The Second Generation, and that was seasons three, four, and season seven. So she was, like, a huge fan favorite character. They brought her back for the sequel series, everything. Um, And she's great, but I'm not thrilled by the part she's playing. It feels like Dominique Jr., the sequel. Like, a girl who's attached to this bigger conspiracy somehow, and Liam is supposed to, like, flirt slash sleep with her for information uh so essentially she plays the daughter of the banker i guess who set up the arrangement between robert and ted to like get this killing uh, to kill simon basically but this is the first we've heard about this banker so just bear in mind this is something the show absolutely pulled out of its ass he hasn't shown up yet no it's Um, completely made up yeah i mean the whole show is made up but yeah, like, it's absurd. Like, 
There's a quick shot of the man usually reserved only for season finales, Boone, briefly shows up, like, literally torching, torturing a guy yes. um, who is credited as Boone's major. So I guess it was his commanding officer at the time when Robert's plane went down. I want to talk about this. This is another check in the, you know, why are we supposed to be rooting for Liam column and for Jasper for that matter. So this guy, we see Boone like heating up a very sharp knife, like one of those knives for fighting that's part smooth, part serrated. And like this guy's face is all bloody and burned and scratched up. And then we see Liam and Jasper getting this information. So he's like torturing him on Liam and Jasper's behalf, which is not something I want to see my protagonists do. I guess if you were being as charitable as possible, then you could... I suppose argue that they did not intend for him to torture him and that was Boone's incentive and he just wanted them, they just wanted him to get information and Boone did that part on his own, but there's no clarification on that one way or the other. Yeah, that's pure fanfic. They seem fine with getting the information as far as we know. Anyway, yeah. um, I mean, it's also relatedly like in a similar way, like um, although Cyrus is obviously supposed to be a villain, like there's also a callback to like some old... Like, sexual blackmail type stuff Cyrus does, too. I don't think you can call it sexual blackmail. He says that he, like, quote-unquote, forgot this guy's safe word so many times he made him confess all this stuff, which is basically saying that he sexually tortured him into revealing this information. Like, that's you know, that's rape. So that was horrible. And while Cyrus is doing this, of course, just for maximum grotesqueness, he's like shoving a sharp bamboo skewer in and out of an olive, like the whole Yeah, like a toothpick, yeah. So yeah, imagine why Zach and I weren't surprised when we heard that Mark Schwann was a creep. Hmm. So that was gross, but Cyrus had some great suits, as he always does. And I'm happy to see him back in villain mode, I guess. Yeah, there were some good shots. There was, uh, after his first scene, there's a, they come back to him after another two months have passed, according to maybe Sarah Alice, Sarah Alice's ghosts calendars. <laughs> and he's in the same room, in the same spot with a glass of whiskey looking over the fire. And I just like to think that he stood, <laughs> sat there for two months staring into that fireplace. Robert continues to flirt with Willow. She becomes more and more open to it. And Liam uh, reveals to her, or at least tries to reveal to her, what happened with Robert and Catherine, including Robert sleeping with Catherine and then calling her a whore. He tells Robert, or he tells Willow to confront Robert about this, but that kind of backfires because Robert is able to not lie, but frame the truth in a way that sounds much kinder and much more self-reflective and apologetic than it is. So Willow is starting to get won over to him. But other than all the picking a future bride hoopla, the big thing that Robert does in terms of being the king this episode is he goes to a rally and the signs at the rally say, save our neighborhoods and no jobs, comma, more jobs. Okay, so earlier in the episode, he talks about how he wants to do a speech in South London, which I think we code for like poor part of the town. And he wants Jasper to set up the security. And it's very sudden. It's out of the blue. We don't know what the context is, but he gets there and there's just a protest going on. That's very vaguely defined, like classic, like that Kendall Jenner, Pepsi ad kind of like, oh, the, the activism is happening here. 
no jobs, more jobs, no jobs, more jobs. Yeah. Um, and so he, he gets up there and he has this speech where it's fucking gobbledygook, basically, where he's like, your neighborhood is in bad shape, but it's in good shape. It could be if we just stand up to Parliament and... Fight power with power. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and the light is you. Yeah, so... That, Those are direct quotes. The, the light at the end of the tunnel one is especially confusing because at the beginning of the metaphor, it's clear that they're the ones in the tunnel. <laughs> but then also, like, their spectral form is the light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel. Like, their, actual is, their actualized self, maybe? Sarah Alice will explain it all. Don't worry. She can split herself. Uh, yeah, and it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Robert, the utility companies won't come to your part of town. Like, <laughs> so what the no fuck are you talking about, Robert? It makes no sense. But the important thing is, it becomes very obvious. Like, literally, I called it seconds before it happens that Robert, even though he doesn't really trust Jasper because Jasper loves his sister, Jasper's a good bodyguard. He dives in front of Robert, takes a bullet for him when the riot gets crazy. And uh, the last shot of the episode is Jasper's prone form bleeding out on a patch of red carpet as he reaches for a text from Eleanor saying, I'm home and I want to see you. And we should clarify, like, so prior to this, there's been a couple interactions between Jasper and Robert. And each one has ended with, like, so the first one, they're setting up this, uh, this, this rally. And, you know, Robert says something like, Oh, my father trusted his bodyguard too, and he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm no Ted Price," and he's like, "Let's hope not." And then they're in the car on the way to the rally, and they're like, and he's calling Jasper out about still sending letters to Eleanor, which is granted better than actually physically stalking her around the globe like last time, but still low bar. Um, and at the end, he's like. Oh, Jasper's like, I'll, I'll resign if I can't have some contact with uh, Eleanor. And he and Robert's like, resignation rejected. These things have a way of working themselves out. I need you by my side, is what yeah. he says. So do we think he set up the yeah, assassin of course to kill did. Jasper? He yeah. definitely did. <laughs> He's up to his old tricks. Uh, well, speaking of characters in peril, I mean, that's... Surely the big thing that happened this episode, because I'm guessing it's going to set Jasper and Eleanor up on the road to reconciliation fully, because I don't think he's going to die. Eleanor is inspired to come back because there's two more things we should talk about. I wanted to talk about characters in peril and sexual violence, and it's hard not to mention. We should say Eleanor, since we did say that she came back from her long sojourn in redecorating this hotel for the model guy, who has also a line that sounds like, a line a white writer wrote for a black character. Oh, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. What was it? It was like... Um, they were like, they're painting something or something like that while this tabloid, while looking at this tabloid and he's like... And the like, tabloid is like, is Eleanor dating this super Eleanor hot guy? Eleanor Who and, happens to be biracial, but that shouldn't be a thing. But of course the show has to point out they have one person of color on the show this episode but they're painting something and eleanor like wants to paint it black i think and she's like oh i like black and the the biracial companion is like according to these tabloids 
you really like black it's something or like something that or like she that. says something like oh like these contractors she's like looking at a potential design something oh this designer seems to really like black and he goes yeah so that's... do you according to this tabloid and like points of the thing about them potentially being in love and you can just feel everyone on set wilt like this incredibly good looking guy that's like adonis among men being like yuck yuck mm-hmm. uh, once you go black you never go back right because yeah. that was basically what it came down to yeah and then rosie spills some paint on the tabloids because she's clumsy and bringing it full circle speaking of rosie and potential sexual violence uh eleanor is walking through the streets of italy in an outfit that is black, a black bra and underwear with a tr- totally transparent lace nightgown over it, and then a pentagram style bondage harness over that. Yeah, it's hard. Like that's what it is. Like it's it's now, difficult to describe beyond that. Like that's that's yeah. what it is. It, yeah. No, that's the literal term for it. It is oh, okay. a leather bondage harness. Um, so obviously. Women can wear whatever they want, and no matter what happens to someone, it doesn't have anything to do with what they wore. But I, as a woman who sometimes love its adventurous fashion, uh, would not feel comfortable walking through dark, uh, you know, hidden alleyways in Italy alone wearing basically underwear. You know, well, it's just, yeah. it's, I think no woman would actually do that in real well, life. It's it, a great outfit for pride. I, I mean, exacerbated by the fact that. Um, so at one point she's walking through a fairly crowded street initially, um, and then intentionally turns off into this very, like completely deserted alleyway for no, like an alleyway that not only no woman would go to, I don't think any tourist would be like, would consider this like, oh, this is a safe idea to go through this completely abandoned narrow alleyway yeah you're like going down 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 you have walls all around you you're basically going into a basement level where there's literally a tunnel like an a a tunnel dug into the side of the hill or whatever it is anyway eleanor gets like immediately followed by this big burly guy who threatens her with a knife and two more two more big burly guys rosie Okay, see if you can figure out the physics of this one, because Zach and I couldn't. Rosie drives her car nose first into the tunnel, hops like the out. the entryway to the tunnel, yeah. Yeah, the entryway to the tunnel. Hops out. She kind of blinds, she has like her brights on on the car, so the guys are maybe a little disoriented by the brights. And it's a really cool shot. I will say you see her like fighting them in the lights, and you can only see a little bit. It's sort of like blurry and artistic. So she fights those She fights off guys. two of them. The That's... third guy has a knife to Eleanor's neck. And so Rosie, this guy with the knife to Eleanor's neck is between Rosie and the other entrance to the tunnel. Her car facing is Facing towards yes. the fight facing and Rosie in the car. Facing towards her car and her car is blocking the other entrance. So there's no way for Rosie to get out or around. Yet somehow she disappears and reappears next to this man holding a gun to his head. Th- going through a stone wall? I mean, I think ghosts she, are real. No, she has like literal like Nightcrawler-esque mutant powers in order for this to make any s- It she, makes literally no sense. She's like the vampire I like so much in an interview with a vampire who tap dances up the walls of the even, tunnel and goes upside then, down. Even if she tap dance up the walls, I think the guy would notice her more if she tapped <laughs> dance onto the ceiling of the tunnel. Well, anyway, suffice to say, Eleanor saved. Jasper's not so lucky, but unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be reprieved of him anytime soon. The end of the episode heavily implies that OTP. he is dead. But he's um, not. Did I... 
before we talked about the Rosie thing, I, I did. Did I mention that she decided to come back because she read a shit ton of letters that Jasper had been sending her you over the years? You didn't mention that, but yeah, and also like Sebastian encourages encourages her to get together with Jasper, and I guess the idea is like Sebastian's just a great platonic friend. The problem is he and Alexandra Park, the actress who plays Eleanor, have amazing chemistry, and like every scene, it seems like I'm like falling in love but like no they really truly are just buddies and like in general I'm a fan of male female friendships you know or friendships of whatever people with differing sexual identity on shows and in movies but it feels like last season they were like okay we're setting up a love triangle with Sebastian and this season they're like eh, no well they that's you know what they've done, Catherine, Spencer, and Sebastian, all those characters are just like, mm, I wouldn't be surprised if we never see Sebastian again after this episode. No, I think Sebastian's gone. I think Catherine's gone. And in their place, we have Greta, as played by Lily Loveless, who Liam is now dating just to get info out of. And they go to the opera together. And she's like a cool GF because she gets him a flask full of alcohol for their one month anniversary. I didn't know that was an anniversary you were supposed to mark. Not as far as I'm aware. Because no. we didn't, so that's good. The, there's also sort of a recurring thing where Eleanor is having interviews with some random off-screen person and she has the most vacant platitudes that she is giving this interviewer. I'm still growing and becoming the person that I'm going to be. I'm not perfect, but, you know, you've all watched me make these mistakes and I'm better because, like, it's just... It's like, Imagine oh, any starlet Wherever you interview. go, the haters are going to find you, which is fine because it's their, their world, world, too. too. <laughs> like, there was one... I wish we could remember the specific one, but we've had... Uh, I peek behind the curtains. We've been eating these Dove chocolates that have the most vacant, empty slogans on the inside. And there was one thing she said early in the episode that I can't remember that sounded like something that was out of one of those like wrappers of a chocolate bar thing. Like it was the most empty nonsense. Well, that's true of Liam. Many things he says too. That's many true. things he said to Catherine and Ophelia. It can no, be a very no. saccharine Liam, show. Liam tends to be so dumb that the Dove people would reject <laughs> what he said. Yeah, he's less likable than ever in this episode, which I thought wasn't even possible after season three when I just wanted to throw him out a window. But unfortunately, it seems to be getting worse, you know, not better. I hope, I truly hope that him repeating the word insidious was an intentional joke on the part of the writers. He seemed like he did Didn't not understand know what, what it, it meant. Means. It was great, though. Uh, so... I mean, maybe this will be your answer, but as everyone who's listening to this probably knows, we like to end our episodes with a favorite moment or image or line from the episode. Cyrus and Liam in that weird dream sequence flashback that lasted for a second. I, I, I tend to assume it was a flashback because the next scene is uh, Liam waking, waking up hungover, implying that they'd been, for the first two months of his training, all they did was get wasted constantly. And uh, Cyrus is insistent of the idea that hangovers are for pussies. So they immediately go get double martinis at this place with the waitress. Um, I also liked the touch in that same scene of him keeping the the bullet hole in his door to, oh, rem yeah. to remind him that their their goal is to blow a hole in this whole like false or artificial empire or something like that. Cyrus, when he's not the when when he is not given like. Hor like two over the line horrific stuff 
to say is still one of the most delightful aspects. Yeah, he's always stealing the scene. He's the best written, even when what he's saying is completely disgusting and, like, he is a character who, you know, is a predator by any definition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's not supposed to be a good person. No, but he's still the best written character in terms of, like, Dialogue that is original, dialogue that makes sense, that's witty, that's creative, all those things. He's kind of the, yeah, like he's supposed to be more or less a psychopath, but I guess he's also kind of assumed that devil you know kind of thing where you kind of like him because even though he's a monster, he's your monster, I guess. I don't know. I feel like they're almost asking us to feel that way about Liam and Jasper at this point. Um, you know, this wasn't a strong episode for me, I gotta say. I think besides the season one premiere, which has some pretty cool visual stuff, season premieres for this show are notorious for, like, being so much set up. There's a reason we spend so much time tonight talking about what happened last season. Because it feels like a continuation of the season finale. And the problem... Actually, I hadn't thought about this because I've been away from this sh- the mental headspace of this show for so long, and I hope they don't repeat it this season, but... The mental head case of this show. Hey! One of the problems the past two seasons, less so the first, but the past two seasons really had was for the first seven or eight episodes of the season, almost nothing happens. And then in the past two or last two or three, ep- except for like Jasper, Eleanor, like fanfic drama... And then in the last two or three episodes, um, everything happens very, very quickly to the point where it's almost confusing and difficult to keep up. Well, I was going to say, um, just because there weren't that many plot points that did it for me this episode, or even necessarily moments, uh, character moments that I enjoyed that much, uh, I gotta say, the really the standout things to me in this episode were, like, Rosie fighting the two goons in front of the bright headlights, Liam peering through the shot hole in the door, the shot of Jasper from a bird's eye view bleeding out on the red carpet, Um, a lot of the shots, these like sweeping panning shots of Eleanor in these European locations were really what did it for me in terms of enjoying this episode. Yeah, and I to, think you described it as her eat, pray, love. Yes, it is her eat, pray, love. And to that exact point, thank you, that was the perfect transition. To that exact point, I can get very easily frustrated with the more chick flick-esque elements of this show because I don't always have a high tolerance for saccharine stuff. But this show has used Princess Eleanor as its punching bag for three seasons every horrible thing you can imagine that has has been visited upon her. I mean, underlined in this episode by the attempted kidnapping. But it made me feel like legitimately really happy to see her get away from the palace and have these moments where she's in these beautiful locations, enjoying herself without anyone else, without a romantic interest, because, you know, I think that's, there's, I like that. I still think that's nice. It made me feel something, even though, Everything that was framing it was frustrating. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, though they obviously set her up for more tragedy at the end, but I will say this. Uh, I reserve the right to change my favorite one of the episode in the very, very slim chance that Jasper is genuinely dead. I'll say that that would be my favorite moment of the episode if he is genuinely dead, because I think that from a writing perspective, that is a brave choice and the right choice because it allows Eleanor, I think... To finally grow? Right. I think Eleanor could take charge of a lot of the events of the season besides just, like, 
the romantic aspects, like actually get involved in the political aspects, especially if Robert set it up, she uncovers it and she becomes a much more active role in actually bringing him down because for basically the entire run of the show, anything political, anything revolving around like the royal family, she's been so peripheral to. Yeah, and it would be, it's we always talk about her being inspired by King Simon. I would love to see her actually take a role in like what direction the family is going to have. Although, remember, when we're talking about this show, we have to pretend that the British royal family has a lot of power. That's just the conceit. That's the number one thing you need to know about this show. That's what requires your suspension of disbelief. Like, yeah, and like I said, that's been a problem for me the whole time. Cyrus's life is unchained. Like, the stakes don't seem very high to have the crown because when Liam or Cyrus, whoever loses the crown, they're still living in the palace, living, like, basically the best life they could hope for. And they don't really affect anything because obviously, like, even his speech at the rally, he was just like, Parliament doesn't care about you. And I'm like, yeah, man, but you don't get like a fucking vote on this referendum, dude. You can make a headline, but that's about it. I guess he can use his platform to kick up a big fuss, which isn't like a bad thing. So far, all of Robert's politics have been shown to be sound. He's very liberal. He's very progressive. He's very pro-reforms. That's at least what they were showing last season, that he was like a total dirtbag who, from a governance perspective, is not like a Cyrus who wants to silence the free press and, like, crush dissenters beneath yeah, his Yeah, I, I feel like he just wants adoration yeah. more than anything. Uh, I think he wants everyone to be like, oh, he was the JFK of yeah. the modern era. But I was going to say, I think part of the reason the royalty having power doesn't ring as false for me as it does for you is because... I do get so absorbed in, like, reading about Mary, Queen of Scots and stuff, and it is kind of easy to transfer that mentality over. Uh, But I was thinking a little bit about this during the scene between Robert and Willow, where he was, like, trying to sort of smooth talk her into accepting a date with him slash remaining on his potential brides list. It made me think of the scene, the famous scene, where Richard III manipulates the very innocent Lady Anne into marrying him after having her husband and her father-in-law killed. And I, you know, we talk a lot about the show The Royals Could Have Been. I do sometimes wish it would, you know, occasionally take a couple ideas from Shakespeare the way it used to in the first season. Because I think when those things do happen, they happen to great effect. I think it's going to be a bumpy ride, folks. But if you've listened this far... Thanks so much for joining us, and we're going to do our best to have these episodes out for you as regularly as possible. Yeah, uh, we'll see. It takes us... We generally can't watch the uh, the show itself until Monday, but at the very latest, I think we'll probably not have... We'll have them out before the episode that follows yeah. comes out. And we know you don't want to know how the sausage gets made, uh, but we're doing our best for you, and hopefully in the future we'll have a chance to watch the show more than once or maybe jot down a few yeah. notes so we can get some of the lines that we really, really like. Maybe during the first one or two episodes we'll play around with the specific release date just to see what works best for us, or maybe not. We'll see how it goes. All right. Thanks for sticking with us. I've been Shannon Camp. I've been Zach Powers. Have a good one. <laughs>